What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Oasis Podcast. If you're in the Knoxville, Tennessee area, we'd love to meet you face-to-face on a Wednesday night at our main Park West campus. Make sure to check us out on social media at Oasis PWC to stay up to date on everything going on here so that you can get plugged in and join the Oasis family. I hope that you enjoy this week's message. Let's jump in. How many of you would say that you know who Barry Bonds is? Anybody know who Barry Bonds is? He was a baseball player. Um, and he was like basically the has the world record holder for home runs. This guy just hit every time he was up the bat, he either struck out or hit a home run. Right? Guy's a beast. However, there's a lot of people that would look at him and say that there needs to be an asterisk next to his name because does anybody know what he's been accused of? Steroids. Right? The guy's ripped. Like he's huge. He's like the Hulk with a baseball bat, and uh, he's basically has an asterisk next to his name. Um, and it's basically, you know, going to be placed in the record book right next to him. Um, and then there's another person. After winning three gold and two bronze medals in the Olympics, runner Marion Jones confessed that she used steroids and she even lied to investigators in her effort to cover it up. She is a beast as well. <laughs> like, she could run laps around you all day long, right? But she also has an asterisk next to her name. Then there's a guy named Floyd Landis who stripped, was stripped of his 2006 Tour de France title when he tested positive for performing-enhancing drugs. Sadly, all three of these athletes, they'll probably be remembered for more for what they did wrong than what they did right. They're going to be remembered for what they did wrong, not what they did right. It's crazy because they've accomplished a lot of things. They've done a lot of really awesome cool things. Today, if you're writing notes down, today there's just a point, the first point that I want to talk about is when I choose what I want over what God wants. There's a story in the Bible about a man named Samson. Some of you know him, you've been in the church your whole life, and some of you don't, and that's cool too. Um, But Samson was a very unique guy. Samson um, when he was born, a vow was proclaimed over him, and it was called the Nazarite vow. Most people would take the vow for a certain period of time. But for Samson, it was a lifetime commitment. He was called for a special task, and that meant he had to do things or avoid things that most people didn't. He couldn't have fermented drink or eat anything that came from a grapevine, so he couldn't have any alcohol whatsoever. He couldn't cut his hair <laughs> I get my hair cut like literally every three weeks. I like it short, easy. When I wake up, my hair's still good. Like <laughs> I'm good to go and run out, of the, out the door. Um, except for last, you know, I wanted to look a little bit trendy. So last time I got my hair cut, I got the little line, you know. You know what I'm talking about, right? Got to look trendy. I'm a student pastor, got to, you know. Uh, just, that's where I wear long shirts, right? You could judge me all you want. It's all good, right? So, um, but I, I get my hair cut like you, man, you'd be fine because your hair is long, right? It looks good on you. It would look terrible on me. Um, <laughs> but he could have cut his hair. He could not drink alcohol. And the Bible says he also uh, could had to stay away from anything dead, even an animal. It was a sign of being totally 100% dedicated to God. For Samson, God blessed his dedication with superhuman strength. The guy was an animal. The guy could take down all of you by himself. You could all come at him once, 
boom. Like you're talking about like, you know, Marvel, the Marvel superheroes. This guy was better than a Marvel superhero. He could literally take down hundreds of people at a time, armies. He was super strong. Just something like we've never seen before, okay? Like he was like Vin Diesel and The Rock ate each other. Right? <laughs> like the guy was gigantic, okay? Um, so God blessed him with human, superhuman strength. If you have your Bibles, and you totally should have it, I'm gonna open up Judges uh, chapter 14, verses eight through nine. It says, sometime later when he went back to marry her, he turned aside to look at the lion's carcass. And in it was a swarm of bees and some honey, which he scooped out with his hands and ate it as he went along. And when he rejoined his parents, he gave them some and they ate it too. But he did not tell them that he had taken the honey from the lion's carcass. So now what some of you may be thinking, you're like, what's the big deal? He took some honey from a carcass. It's disgusting, but not really a big deal. He didn't rob a bank. What's the big deal? This guy, he took honey from a disgusting dead animal. Okay. Why it's a big deal is because we just talked about how he was not supposed to touch or be any by a dead animal, and he just took honey out of it, right? And then he gave it to somebody else. So he wasn't supposed to do something, then he did it. What it started off was a small compromise, because as we're going to find out later, Samson destroyed his own life, but it started off with small compromises, so in the student ministry today, I gave a really silly illustration. I'm going to tell it to you guys just because it makes sense. But like if you were, you know, at somebody's house and you sat on their couch and you found a hundred dollar bill inside the couch, right? Are you stealing? Not really. Cause you didn't take it from anybody. I didn't take her book, right? I didn't grab it right out of her hand, but I found it in the couch. Technically not really stealing, but it's stealing, right? It's a, it's a small compromise. Small compromise, it's like, you know, <laughs> that's what seems to happen with us though, is we start with small compromises and we keep doing these small compromises and all of a sudden what happens is our life has started going down big time because we just keep making mistakes over and over. And it, it, you know, it's another illustration, like starts off with somebody that's like, hey, you know what, I'm gonna wait till I'm married to sleep with somebody but I'm gonna get as close as I possibly can to that line. And what happens is you make that small compromises and all of a sudden you've given up everything that was so important to you, right? It's, it starts off so small. Collapses begin with small compromises because Samson, we're gonna find out, completely collapsed. When we make allowances for ourselves to say yes to something that's sinful, we've completely compromised. We ignore what God wants and we've gone for what we want. It's as old as the Garden of Eden. God said, don't touch those fruit. So what'd they do? They touched the fruit. They could have the entire garden. Just don't touch this. But they couldn't stand it. Had to take it, right? Just couldn't stand it. Just because we can do something doesn't mean we should. The real question is, why am I reaching for this? For how long will it make me feel better? What are we tempted to reach for when we're stressed? And where do we find relief? When I'm in pain, the answer is not something with cream filling. It might taste good for a couple seconds, but I'm gonna, it's me. I'm going to probably get two, I'm going to grow two pounds. <laughs> Anybody have a metabolism like me? I drink a milkshake, I gain five pounds, right? Uh, literally, <laughs> I'm serious, man. You skinny people eat way more than me. <laughs> but I need to run. 
to the Lord and find safety in his embrace. It's not about what I want. It's a what about I need, and I need him. Oscar Wilde, you probably don't know him. I don't know him, but it's a good quote, and I'm going to share it with you. <laughs> there are two great tragedies in life. One is not getting what we want. Wait, one is, get, is not getting what one wants, and the other is getting it. So true. How many of you have ever really, really wanted something, and you thought you wanted it, you wanted it, you wanted it, and then you got it, and you realized this wasn't good for me? Like I wanted it so dang bad, and then when I got it, it wasn't worth it. Literally, that was me. Um, I've been in so many like toxic relationships before I got married. Right? I wanted, I wanted to be with her so bad. I wanted to be in this relationship so bad. And what happened? I got in this relationship and stomped all over my heart. Worst nine months of my life. Right? That's happened to me several times because that's all I craved. I was craved. I was trying to fill a hole in a gap that God belonged in with a girl. For so long, that's what I was trying to do. And so I was in this toxic relationship. And I remember even in high school, like there was, I wasn't living for God, but for some reason I still had convictions. I don't know why, but I wasn't living for him. But I, I refused. I was like, you know what? I really want to wait till I'm married. Really want to wait till I'm married. And I got dumped by a few girls in high school for not going all the way. And I remember feeling like garbage. You know what that does to a man? Like we got, you got dumped because you wouldn't go. Like every guy wants that. So it takes a lot to say no to that, you know? And I felt humiliated and felt, um, you know, my, and then start spreading rumors and guys start making fun of me on the football team, right? You guys are way past high school. A lot of you, so the illustration's silly, but it was real to me. Real, real to me. And ridiculed for doing something that was right. When I'm in pain, the answer is not a quick fix. Point two today is when I handle sin my way rather than God's way, what happens? Samson, he made a ton of mistakes in the area of relationships. Judges 16 verses four through five says, sometime later he fell in love with a woman in the valley of Sorek whose name was Delilah. Delilah was gorgeous. He thought he wanted Delilah. She had everything. She made him feel real good about himself. And the rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, okay, hold on, let me pause. The Philistines hated Samson, hated him. Do you know why? Because he could destroy them with a snap of his finger. Like, can you imagine, like, having a ton of guys charging this guy that you hate, and he just wipes you all out with nothing? That's humiliating, especially for men. We got some testosterone. Like, when... <laughs> When, uh, when we try and go against something and this guy completely obliterates us and we have like 100 people on our side and he's destroying us, like we're gonna hate his guts. And that's exactly what happened. Philistines hated this man. They hated him. And so what did they do? They went to the gorgeous girl that had Samson and said, hey, I'm gonna paraphrase the Bible for a second. We're gonna give you a ton of money, ton of money, hook you up, but we need you to tell us why your boyfriend's so dang strong. Find out his secret. There's got to be a reason. Nobody is that strong. <laughs> it's like, you know, finding the kryptonite to Superman. There's something that's going to defeat this guy. We'll give you all the money in the world if you would tell us his weakness. And so that's exactly what happened. The Philistines went to Delilah, and they said, see if you can lure him into showing you the secret of his great strength and how we can overpower him so that we may tie him up and subdue him. Each one of us will give you 1,100 shekels of silver. 
He was getting involved with women who would do nothing to enhance his spiritual life. You're at Oasis today because I believe that you want to grow deeper in love with Jesus. You want your relationship with God to be better than it is, right? That's why we're here. Church is not mandatory, but the body of Christ makes us better. That's why we, want, we gather together. Not because it's gonna bring us to heaven, but because it's gonna help us in our relationship with God. That's why we, that's why we go to church. I would hope that's why you're at Oasis. It's because you wanna grow. And so... This man kept surrounding himself with women who would do nothing to enhance his spiritual life. He was disobeying God right and left, but we see evidence, we see no evidence of sorrow. He did not care. Like, you know that when we do something wrong, we kind of feel guilty and bad about it? Samson didn't feel that way. Samson was, was I'm gonna do what I want to do. You know, and some of us, some of us are living life like that right now. It would be hard for us to admit it. But if we were honest with ourselves, we're going to do what we're going to do, and we're not going to feel bad about it. Samson did not feel bad about what he was doing. And in fact, he acts like he hasn't sinned at all. He's completely just ignoring it. See, one of the most important things we must learn as Christians, because if you're a Christ follower, if you say you follow Jesus, then I would say that you're a Christian. And one of the most important things as Christians that we must figure out is what to do with our sin. We all know that we've sinned and we will sin. None of you are perfect. In fact, there are no perfect people allowed at Oasis, so if you're perfect, see you later. <laughs> yeah, no one left. <laughs> We're, I'm not perfect. I'm a screw-up, guys. I mess up all the time. I'm a pastor. I'm a pastor. I've been a pastor since 2011, and I've screwed up so many times since I've been a pastor. The good thing is God doesn't call you to live a perfect life. But he expects us to know what to do with sin. And he's told us what to do with it. It is all over the good book. If this is not a part of your life, can I just challenge you once? This is the most accurate book we've ever had. So many things that this book says, we can look and see that it's happened or it's happening. It is the most relevant book today. There's a reason why it's the bestseller. It's the bestseller. In China, people cannot wait to get their hands on this. My wife went to China to smuggle Bibles in. People want this so bad, and we have it. But so often, we don't even read it. This tells us what to do with sin. This tells us how to handle it. This tells us how to handle life. Here's another thing. We shouldn't excuse our sin. When the Holy Spirit convicts us, we can either admit that he's got us dead to rights or try to rationalize away. And we try to rationalize things away all the time. Like, well, I only did this because of this. Or, you know, I'm only going to do this for a little bit. Or, like, it's not that big of a deal. It's a white lie. Like, my grandma, my grandma, I'm sure she's in heaven. She loved Jesus so much. She was Italian, could barely speak a lick of English. But she would say that there was such thing as, like, white lies. Like, it wasn't. And she was like, oh, it's just a little lie. It's not a big deal. That's trying to rationalize sin. Guys, all sin's equal. Like, all lies are the same. God, and you know what I think? When we try to rationalize sin, God's like laughing. <laughs> he's like, dude, like, that's a good one. Like, I've never heard that one before. Like, he's like, I created you. I created you. You're smart because I made you smart. You're not fooling anybody. Like, I know exactly what you're doing. I see through it. Like, he's not stupid. So why do we try and rationalize sin? Why do we try to make it okay? Let's start with, we don't ignore it. We don't excuse it. We don't rationalize it. 
We don't hold our sin. This is what I think a lot of us do. We feel ashamed for our sin, but do nothing afterwards, and then we feel ashamed about it. I want to tell you this right now. Shame, it's not from God. Shame isn't from God. God is not sitting here trying to make you feel horrible about yourself and bad about yourself. That's not God. If you feel shame and you feel like garbage, guess what that is? That's the enemy. It's the enemy. Because God sees you what you could be. God sees you who he created you to be. He doesn't see you for your greatest mistakes. He doesn't see you for all your sin and all your mistakes. He sees you what, you, what he created you to be. What he, he sees you what you're going to be. He sees you as his masterpiece. Ephesians 2.10 says that you are his workmanship, his masterpiece. You're not a finished masterpiece, but you are his workmanship, and he's creating you to do great things. And so shame doesn't come, doesn't come from God. That's the enemy. The enemy knows that if he can make you feel like garbage, make you feel horrible about what you've done or what you're, what you're currently doing, then he can isolate you. How many of you know people that are really sick, like really just mean? Just people, you don't have to raise your hand, but you know what I'm saying? Like people that are just really don't have your best interests ever. Dude, what do those people try and do? When they like bully you or, or they try to make you feel like garbage, they usually approach you when you're by yourself. They don't approach you when you're with your friends. They don't approach you when you're with your family. They approach you when you're by yourself and vulnerable. Because if they can isolate you and make you feel like garbage, then they can beat you. And that's what the enemy does. If he can make you feel like crap, make you feel like garbage for your worst sin and make you feel like you're no good, then he can isolate you and keep you away from God because you're, you're going to be embarrassed and feel that shame. And you're going to be away from God. And that's when he's got you. Because if he can isolate you and he can take you away from the body of Christ and take you away from church... Because we just, we just admitted that church is helpful, right? That the body of Christ helps us. If he can alienate you and isolate you, that's when he's going to pounce on you. That's when he's going to win. So that shame that you're feeling, not from God. But we all do know that voice that's telling us, hey, don't do that. Not a good idea. Don't do that. You're better than this. That voice is God. The voice that's saying, hey, you're going to deal with some consequences that I did not mean for you to deal with. I was telling the students today, hell wasn't made for you. And whether you believe in hell or not, it doesn't matter. It's real. It wasn't made for you. It was not created for you. It was made for the devil. You don't belong there. See, we deal with a lot of consequences from our sin that God never meant for us to deal with. It's funny, when we were in school and our parents told us not to do things, but we did it anyway, we're like, oh, that's right. now I see why they didn't want me to do that. Like, it makes total sense. That's why I wasn't supposed to do that. And a lot of times, it's not that your parents were jerks back, ten, you know, when you were in school. It's not that they were jerks. It's just that they already did that stuff. <laughs> they already made those stupid mistakes, and so they don't want you to deal with what they dealt with, right? It's crazy. If you look at, if you look at broken families, they've been broken for a long time. It didn't just start right there. They've been broken before that, generationally. I believe you can break the generation, generational curse in your family. It can happen with you. Your kids don't have to be drug addicts. You don't have to be a drug addict. You don't have to self-harm. You don't have to have six kids with six different people. 
And guess what? You know what? If you have made that, that has happened, God loves you. You're still worthy. He still chooses you. You're not junk. You're not garbage. It's not too late. We all make mistakes. We all sin differently. Right? One of the most important things as Christians we must learn to do is how to deal with our sin, right? The kind of shame that we have is unhealthy and it actually causes us to repeat the very behavior that we didn't want to do in the first place. So what do we do? We know what not to do. What do we do? How do we approach sin? How do we deal with it from now on? We approach the Lord as we are. Come to him as you are. Some of you are like, I'm not coming to church on Sunday because I don't have it all figured out. Good. We don't need you to have it all figured out. Again, like I said, we don't expect you to be perfect. There's no perfect people allowed here. We're all mess-ups. And anybody that makes you feel bad about yourself, they do not represent Jesus. So many people are not in this room, or maybe you're in this room, and, and for a while you're reluctant to come in this room because you have been judged by other Christians. And if that's what Christians are, I don't want to be like them, and I don't want to be there. Those Christians, those people do not reflect Jesus Christ because Jesus isn't a judgy God. Jesus says, you are who I created. I love you. I see the best in you. You are not your greatest mistake. Some people are like, man, if I walk in there, I'm going to burn. I'm going to burn right when I walk in. No, you're not. <laughs> you're not. You're going to be like everybody else around you because everybody else is a sinner too. Just look different. So come as you are. Come to God as you are. He already knows who you are anyway. There's no reason to fake it. There's no reason to avoid him. He sees you. He knows you. From there, we brutally, brutally confess our sins. We tell God the way it is. God, I'm a porn addict. God, I'm a cheater. God, I'm a cutter. God, I'm a druggie. But I don't want to live this way anymore. And I don't want to be this way anymore. And I need you. You guys listen to pastors preach, uh, pray and you think, man, man, my prayer needs to sound like that or I can't pray. You don't need metaphors. You don't need similes. Uh, you know, it's like, oh, God, precious are your ways. Your ways are like, no, you don't need to pray like that. Come as you are. Talk as you talk who you are. And tell, be brutally honest. God, I'm a fornicator. I'm a sex addict. I don't, whatever it is, tell him. Be honest. He knows what it is anyway. And the thing about it is, is when we confess, when we tell him what's up, that's when we get freedom. That's when we get freedom. You may say that's painful. Uh-huh. It's supposed to be painful. Guess what? When Jesus died on the cross for you, it was really painful. Really painful. I remember when The Passion of Christ came out. Yeah, I'm that old. We saw it in movie theaters. There was no previews, nothing. It just the movie just turned on. And uh, a lot of people wouldn't go see it. They wouldn't let their kids go see it because they said it's really brutal. And I said, exactly. And even that wasn't as brutal as it actually was. And you know what? We need to see that because we need to understand the severity of sin. But understand, too, that God's love is a reckless love. He chases people that keep hurting him and want nothing to do with him. I have ran away from God and walked away from God so many stinking times. And when I turn around, he's just standing right behind me. 
said, I love you. Here's another chance. Here's another chance. Here's another chance. I don't know about you, but I'm not that guy. You don't want anything to do with me? After a few times, I'm done with you. I don't need you. I'm not going to keep putting myself out there. Like, I was the guy that if the girl didn't act interested, I'm done. Like, I'm not going to pursue you. You're not interested, I don't want you. <laughs> you know what I mean? And that's how I knew my wife was the one, because it was so easy. It was so easy I knew she was the one. It was never hard. That's how God is. It's not hard. It's not difficult. He will accept you for who you are, but he loves you so much he wants to help you get better because he knows the freedom in which you can have will change your life. I want to read this to you. It's, it's kind of funny. A lawyer was defending a man accused of, of robbery, and he tried this creative defense. He said, my client merely inserted his arm into the, ear, into the window and removed a few small things. His arm is not himself, and I fail to see how you can punish the whole individual for an offense committed by his limb. It's not his fault. It's his arm's fault. Well put, the judge said. Using your logic, I sentence your defendant's arm to one year in prison. Whether he'd like to accompany his arm to prison or not is up to him. <laughs> Last point. What when I feel is more important than what God says. This one's going to sting. This is where I need to be brutally honest. We live in a world that's all about feelings. Feelings, feelings. Guilty. I feel this is right. I feel this is how I feel. And the world is going to try and tell you that there's no such thing as absolute truth. There is absolute truth, actually. There is right and wrong, and I don't care how you feel, because what you feel can be manipulated and twisted. I might feel like this one way, and the next way I feel another way. Do you know why my marriage works? Not because I feel in love with her all the time. It works because I'm choosing to overcome my feelings and work hard for her because she deserves it. Our marriage deserves it. Because if I went by my feelings, I'd have a new wife every two weeks. Feelings are manipulated. Our generation needs to stop being dictated by the way we feel. Because it's not all about what we feel. I, I can't tell you how many times I've tried to make people believe what I believe because I feel this way. Like, you hurt me. I feel you hurt me. You did this wrong. It's like, they didn't do anything wrong. I'm being a sissy. <laughs> I'm being a sissy. Seriously, like... I feel, I feel. And you know what people say, I feel, because we can't, we can't really argue the way somebody feels, right? <laughs> it's, it's like you, you know, <laughs> your boyfriend or your girlfriend <laughs> or your wife or whatever says, hey, I feel you really hurt me. Your feelings don't matter! <laughs> try, try that. That won't work. <laughs> it's, it's not going to work. But we say it all the time because you can't argue how I feel. Like, I feel this way. That's how I feel. You can't do anything about it, right? But guys, feelings are manipulated, Judges chapter 16, we're going to continue the story, 19 through 20, says, Having put him to sleep on her lap, she called the man to shave off the seven braids of his hair. So, he began to sub so they began to subdue him, and his strength left him. Then she called Samson, the, the Philistines are upon you. And he awoke from his sleep and thought, I'm going to go out before and shake myself free. But he did not know the Lord had left him. God gave us emotions. It's part of our holy makeup. It's part of who we are. He created us that way. He created us to like those things. However, if our heart acts without the benefit of our brain, we're in big trouble. 
Some of you have gotten yourself into bad situations because you got into relationships that was just, I feel like this is right for this time. And then you end up in this horrible, abusive relationship, this relationship that just destroys you. Not everything is based on feelings. Do you know how many people are divorced that really shouldn't be? They gave up on their marriage way too soon because they went by feelings. Feelings can be twisted. Feelings come and go. We can't base everything on feelings. That was Samson's problem. He loved the feel good. Delilah was hot. Just saying. She was. Like, that's how he felt. And she, he liked the way she made him feel. But it rarely led him to do good. He eventually tells Delilah his secret to his strength. And she has a guy cut off seven braids while he sleeps. By the way, guys, have you ever, can you imagine somebody be able to cut off all your hair while you sleep and you're not going to feel it? We don't know this for sure, but we can imagine that she probably made him drunk. Bam. He just did the third thing he wasn't supposed to do. Touched dead animal, didn't care, told the secret he wasn't supposed to, and drank alcohol. Completely did everything he wasn't supposed to. Incidentally, it should be pointed out that Samson left God long before God left Samson. We live in an emotional culture, and that has made its way into the church. And I fear Christians are basing their decisions more on how they feel rather than what God has to say about it. I'm not trying to come down on anyone or judge you guys because I'm guilty of this too. But I've heard a lot of people say in the church, well, I wasn't sure what to do, but I felt that peace about it. Did you ever think to open up the good book? This has a lot of answers. It's very relevant today. But we're not opening it. We're not using it. And so we're basing our decisions on feelings and what we think God is instead of who we know he is. Stop basing everything on the way you feel. It's deceptive. And the Satan's really good at messing with our feelings. You know, like we say the word I love a lot. I love this cereal. I love this chocolate. Love is a more powerful word than that. Or we say, I hate that person. Really? Do you really hate that person? That's a strong word. We say these things out of feelings that don't really, aren't really true. Just because it feels right doesn't mean it's God's will for us. The real question is, what does God have to say about it? What if God is saying, if we're believers, the Holy Spirit resides in us, and within us to serve us as a counselor for us, and he will instruct us if we only ask him. Guys, seriously? You know that when we get those feelings like, hey, I, sh- you sh- like, I shouldn't do this. It didn't feel right. We say that's our conscious. Like, <laughs> people can call me a Pharisee. I don't know. But like, I really believe our conscious is the Holy Spirit. He's telling us not to do something. You know the little angel and the little devil on one side? Like, hey, don't do this. Yes, you should. One's the enemy. One's the Holy Spirit. <laughs> like, really? If it, We know when something's not right. I'm going to close right here. This story I didn't use in middle school or high school because I think God wanted it for Oasis. Not sure why, but I'm going to read this story and then I'm um, going to have a little response. It says, for a lot of people, winning the lottery is the American dream. But for many lottery winners, the reality is more like a nightmare. Winning the lottery isn't always what it's cracked up to be, says Evelyn Adams, who won the New Jersey lottery not just once but twice, 1985 and 1986, to tune of $5.4 million, which back then that was even, that was like probably $20 million. Today the money is all gone and Adams lives in a trailer. I won the American dream, but I lost it too. 
It was very hard fall. It's called rock bottom, says Adams. Everyone wanted my, everyone wanted my money. Everybody had their hand out. I never learned one simple word in the English language. No. I wish I had the chance to do it all over again. I'd be more smarter about it now, says Adams, who also lost money at the slot machines in Atlantic City. I was a big-time gambler, admits Adams. I didn't drop a million dollars, but it was a lot of money. I made mistakes. Some I regret, some I don't. I'm human. I can't go back now, so I just go forward one step at a time. Only in Samson's moments does he finally reach out to God for help. Only in his final moments does he finally reach out to God for help. How much more is it going to take for us to call on him? How will you be remembered years from now? Will you have an asterisk next to your name and be put in what could have been category? Will you be a, a could have been? You know, I see so many students in my, in, in my life that have so much potential. But potential doesn't mean outcome. We all have a ton of potential in here to be world changers. We all have a lot of potential to be generate, uh, breaking generational curses. You can break that generational curse in your family. You could be an amazing mom or dad one day even though you came from a horrible broken family. You could end, the, you could end drugs and alcohol in your family. You could end that. You could make a real difference. You might have made a mistake. You might have been broken. But that's not who God says you are. God doesn't say that. He doesn't define you, of your, define you as your biggest mistake. He doesn't call you garbage. He doesn't call you worthless. You may have heard these things from people, horrible human beings. But they're just broken too. Broken things break things. Broken people break people. God doesn't say any of those things about you. I don't care if you've met the meanest, judgy Christian. What they said isn't you. That's not you. And I'm so sorry that they treated you that way. I'm so sorry they said those things about you. I'm so sorry you've had to fight alone. Some of you don't come from families that had Jesus in them at all. And so you've had to do this thing by yourself. And some of us have had God spoon-fed to us, and we're, we're blessed. You've had to hit rock bottom and go through a really tough life. I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. But God doesn't care about me any more than he cares about you. He loves you so much. And the thing is, some of you are like, man, there's two things. Some of you are like, I'm, I'm way too far gone. I don't know why I'm here. I'm too far gone. I've screwed up. I've messed up. People label me, judge me. I'm too far gone. I could never make a difference for God. I could never be a Christian. I'm not a holy roller. Listen, if people want to call me a holy roller, that's fine. I'm sold out for Jesus because he's the only thing that matters. I'm not any better than those that aren't. I'm not better. But here's the thing. I'm going to handle my sin differently. I'm going to handle my struggles differently so that they don't define me. Because my mistakes don't define me. What defines me is God. And he says I'm his workmanship. He says I'm his masterpiece. And so tonight, we're talking about sin. We're talking about all these sin, these things that you know. You know what I'm talking about. I didn't even have to say it tonight. You know what you're struggling with. You know what's captivating your heart. You know what's holding you back. So what is it? The first thing to do is to acknowledge it. Don't hold on to it. 
come to God as you are. Is there any leaders in Oasis? I'm sorry, I'm not always in here. If you're a leader in Oasis, would you just socially distance, spread out? I want to give an opportunity tonight for you to pray with somebody in this room. Because we're the body of Christ, and we're better together. We are better together. The whole reason we come to church, like I said before, is so that we can stand next to each other and with each other and be better. I'm better because I got people like in my life like Ishmael and Pastor Melvin. I'm better because I have people like pa- Pastor Abby in my life. I'm better because I have people that believe the same things that are holding me up. And none of these people are any better than me, but we're just, we got a common goal. And it's to be better. It's to be used by God. It's to stand out. Guys, the one thing that I know you hate about culture and what you hate about life, your generation hates it so much, my generation, we hate fake. I wear my heart on my sleeve. I am who I am all the time. I'm not perfect, but I am who I am. God doesn't want us to be fake. He wants us to be real. Fake is exhausting, and nobody likes a fake person. Let's stop being fake, y'all. It's been Tennessee two years, and now I'm starting to say y'all. I can't believe it. Listen, God doesn't want fake. He wants you. He wants the ugly you, the real you, the broken you. And he's going to help you get to where you need to be. You're not by yourself. You're not alone. So whatever those sins are that have been holding you back, tonight this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask you to just acknowledge it. I don't know if you guys do this in Oasis. I'm sure it's fine if you don't. But tonight, find somebody that you feel comfortable with. Tell them, hey, I've been struggling with this. This is what's been holding me back. This is the bondage I have. And guess what? Are any of you going to judge any of them? Chances are you've done what they've done. I've done a lot of the things that you've probably done. I've not been a holy roller my whole life. I've been a screw-up. I am a screw-up today. I still mess up like an idiot. I've done a lot of dumb things. I've chased the world, chased girls, I've chased drugs, alcohol. I've done a lot of dumb stuff that didn't fill me up. It just made me feel like garbage. It might have felt good for a few minutes, but it didn't feel good forever. The one thing that will feel good forever is Jesus, because he will love you to the day you die, and then for the rest of eternity. And he'll stand with you. Your friends will abandon you. People, institutions will let you down. They'll guard their territory. People will fail you, but God is faithful. So tonight, Oasis, I'm just going to give you an opportunity to respond. Pray with somebody. This awesome guy right here is going to keep playing the keys. And if you got to go, you can totally go. But if you need prayer tonight, I'm going to ask you just to respond to somebody. Because we're better together. And we can overcome a lot together. Only in Samson's final moments did he reach out to God for help. Tonight might have been your last moment. You might have been contemplating suicide. You might have been saying, I'm giving God one more chance. You might have said, you know, I'm done with the God thing. I'm not coming to Oasis anymore unless God shows up tonight. Maybe you would say, like, I'm, I'm going to chase a lot of things that uh, I've been putting off because I just can't find something real. Tonight could be the night that you find something real in this room. In your final moment, like Samson, call out to God. In your final moment, the difference, in, in, you know, we talk a lot about David and we love David. Do you know what David did? David cheated. David, David slept with another person's wife and then he killed 
He killed that man. But we, we act like Samson so bad, right? The reason we love David and we look down on Samson is because David handled his sin. David knows, knew he was a screw-up and he handled it. Samson waited to the very last moment. But guess what? God is waiting for us and he's here with us even in the very last moment. You know what he did with Samson? He gave Samson, his, Samson begged for, begged God for his strength back so he could defeat his enemy and God gave it to him. <laughs> the end of the story is a little bit sad, but how much will it take for us to call on him? Will we remember Will we be remembered years from now? Will we have an asterisk next to our names and be put in the what could have been category? Or will we live by God's leading, God's hand, and God's direction? Tonight is your chance to take the asterisk out of the book and make your mark for the Lord Jesus Christ. So tonight with everybody in this room, would you just close your eyes and bow your heads? If you're in this room right now and you need prayer and you need to just find the body of Christ and, and say, hey, I'm dealing with this. I'm struggling with this. I could use somebody to love me and pray with me through it. Would you just get out of your seat and find somebody up here to pray with? Yeah, awesome. So cool. And people are bold and brave. The thing about it is that God wants to give us freedom from all that stuff that holds us back and gives us shame. He wants to give us freedom so that we could be who he's called us to be, so we could be a part of what he's doing in the world so that we could live our best life. But in order to live our best life, in order to get to that point, we have to be able to say, I need freedom from the junk that's been holding me back. So would you just get up and find somebody to pray with and, 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 and talk with tonight? I'm going to give another minute to respond, then I'm going to pray us out, and then they're going to stay up here for anybody that wants to pray after service. Thank you so much for letting me be here. I wanted to be real and raw with you tonight because I think that's what God requires of us. Just be real and raw so that he can do the rest. He can do the rest of the work because he's got so much incredible things. I have this thing on my social media and I really believe it. That's why I posted it. But it's God isn't even done working in your life yet. He's not even done working in your life. He's just getting started. I'm going to pray, and if you guys want to respond after, go ahead. Pray with these people up here. Love you. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, for a God who loves us, a God who has reckless love, a God who chases us down and, and waits for us, who never gives up on us, that while we may be addicts, while we may be fornicators, while we may be sinful, while we may be people that hurt other people, you love us anyway, and you're chasing us down, wanting to make us better. You're chasing us down because you so desperately want a relationship with us. Thank you for being a God that pursues us relentlessly. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you've done on the cross. Thank you for dying for me, for saying I'm worth it, for saying they're worth it. You're the only person that would do that. And we're so grateful, God, that you love us that much. We never will deserve it, but your love will never change. Thank you, God. Have your will. Let your will be done in our life. We want more of you. 
Lord, I pray Oasis would just flourish, that you would keep bringing young adults to this room, God, who want to encounter you, who want to make each other better. We love you so much. Amen.